Welcome to the Driving the Deal podcast from the sunny beaches in Miami at McDermott's uh, Healthcare Private Equity Conference. Those of you who listened to our last episode know it was our Winter Olympics edition. So from the snowy slopes down to the beach, oh, what a difference a couple of weeks have, have made. So as you know, we're here in Miami for, for the McDermott HPE Conference. We're talking about the market for healthcare private equity. And I could not think of a better guest to join uh, Chris and I than our good friend Mark Frank. Francis, who is uh, at Houlihan Loki, which many of you know is the top bank for healthcare private equity deals. Always busy and, and always a pleasure to have you. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate uh, being here and look forward to the discussion. So let's just kick it right off. We're you know heading toward the end of the first quarter. Things are looking very, very busy. So give us just kind of your view of how the, the market's going to shape up for the year. Sure. Well, start maybe last year was the peak market, right? Globally, healthcare was about 4,000 transactions a year, 2,000 of those were in the uh, U.S., 1,000 were in Europe, and kind of 1,000 the rest of the world. So we kind of rolled into January at a peak market. And to be honest, everybody was a little bit tired given the pacing, be it attorneys, us, you, private equity funds, the whole thing. And there was some concern that the market was going to slow down in 2022. It really hasn't. If you look at January, February volume to last year, it's about flat in U.S. and Europe. The rest of the world is a little bit down. But it's a very healthy start to what we think is going to be a very productive, proactive year. Now, there are some headwinds, right? You've got inflation, you've got supply chain issues, um, you've got the conflict in Ukraine, uh, which is very tragic. And so um, there are some things that we have on our watch list. But today, you know, it's, it's very active and robust. Yeah, Mark, from what we're seeing in our legal practice, January was like quiet. Then February, we're starting to see kind of some clients moving into phase one, phase two of processes, starting to really dig in on some Q of E work on, on various assets. And it, it seems like it's going to be a, you know, pretty busy here for the year. Um, have you seen any, um, you know, change in lender appetite for transactions with some of this uncertainty, like globally and with interest rates or or you kind of are not much of an effect from your perspective? I think on the private lender market, the club market, um, not really. I think it's been pretty uh, pretty stable. I would say the bond market is peeling back a little bit and public markets are obviously down, which creates some confidence kind of questions around the longer term appetite. But so far, so good. And, and what I would suggest is there were a ton of deals that people really wanted to get done by December. I think most of those got done. And then there was another group of deals that were on the cusp and they said, hey, let's wait till January, February to launch those. So I think we had a good January, February from healthcare perspective. Um, but I think we see it going up from here. Like there's a pitch activity, launch activity is at a fairly rapid pace. So I think it's going to get busier from here. What about the, is the overall macro situation maybe going to have the lenders sort of push back on some of the, the, the super hot uh, subsectors on the multiple side? You know, it's interesting. Um, the lending doesn't drive like if, if you look at a deal that's 15, 17, 20 times EBITDA, right, which is on the upper end of particularly where healthcare services things trade. The lending doesn't drive those deals. Right. I mean, if you're you're leveraging the business at six times, whether it trades at 15 or 18, it doesn't really impact the leverage markets. Right. So um, but we have seen some more creative things around that, um, more of these high growth things where people will roll in structured equity from kind of, you know, six through eight times or whole co-pick notes or maybe bring on a partner um, to really create a situation that you can do not only that deal, but all follow on acquisitions and growth to make sure the company's funded through the life cycle of the investment. So we've seen probably more creativity around that than we have in the past. That's great. On the healthcare services side, 
we, we always ask this question of our friends in the banking world, and it's going to be what's hot. Um, for us, you know, it seems like there's going to be a lot of PPM activity again. There's a lot of post-acute. Behavioral's probably a solid, you know, uh, quarter to a third of our deal flow. But, like, do you think that's going to hold true? And, and is there anything that's sort of a surprise horse in the race? Um, no surprises as of yet. If you look at the deal flow, kind of where we ended up last year, all the uptick was in re health, uh, retail multi-site, physician, HCIT, behavioral, home care hospice. Those are probably the top five areas within healthcare services. You know, MedTech and Pharma did also really well. And so if you look at kind of where they, I think that sense of elevated deal flow in those sectors particularly will continue in this year. Um, things like VET, very high growth sector, uh, very interested in private equity sponsors. So um, I think what was hot last year, I think that continues into 22. I don't really see any surprises yet. Um, but some of that is, you know, we've kind of forgotten about um, reimbursement headwinds for a couple of years. We've been dealing with pandemic ups and downs in terms of volume and those kind of things. Um, the longer term reimbursement cycles, now that we're kind of hopefully knock on wood, rolling out of the pandemic, will start to come into play, which is certainly y'all's expertise. So it would revert the question, like as you guys look at th this year, next year, are there any surprises coming on the reimbursement side? What about underserved spaces? I mean, are there any, any spaces where you don't see a lot of deal flow and you're kind of surprised that, that you should see more? Uh, you know, surprisingly, there are some spaces that are interesting for sponsors but are not developed or the, the addressable market's not big enough. I'll give you one, cardiology, right? A lot of people have been talking about the space for a long time, has a lot of ancillaries that you can roll in, and there's a lot of interest in cardiology, but the problem is there's no platforms. And so right now there's three or four sponsors building platforms. And so you think about three, four, five years from now, um, it will be more interesting for, for bigger sponsors. But today, everybody likes the space, but there's just not enough to do. So that would be one example of, and there's many of those that, that we see. Pain management is probably a little similar, you think? A little bit. And you know, I would say that one maybe historically was a little bit out of favor, but um, there's a number of platforms with 10 to 40 of EBITDA that uh, have been building over time and I think will come out in the next two years. So I think pain historically has not been that active. Going forward, we see that as an active space. We see, uh, I think you do too, we, we see a, a lot of interest in unskilled, uh, unskilled home care, which is kind of interesting right in the middle of the, the current labor market. Uh, I feel like something has to sort itself out before it runs. Yeah, I to totally agree. And, you know, look, I think uh, inflation, uh, retention, um, and recruiting for clinical staff um, and people who operate the business has been probably the single biggest issue um, companies have faced in the last six months. Um, we see that being a continuing problem. But if you look at like personal care, for instance, on the home care side, um, there's a lot of connectivity for skilled and other services for hospice over time. And so a lot of the home care providers are thinking about creating an ecosystem of the variety of services to really be full service in the home. And I think strategies around that, I think you'll see um, more and more. But part of healthcare has been, we've been developing sectors within the sector. So personal care, you're gonna go acquire personal care companies and build the largest personal care company around. Home care guys have done the same. Hospice people have done the same. The market within these sectors is converging with post-acute uh, retail multi-site and a lot of sectors to where in the next five or 10 years, you're gonna see more convergence within sectors of how to create services around a patient population, right? Which is different than where we've been historically. And also how you deploy technology around that. I mean, we're in a long-term evolution of deployment of technology within healthcare services. And at some point, 
in it could be five, 10 years from now, CEOs are gonna feel like they really operate a technology enabled service business versus just a service business. Because you think about population health, value-based care, all these kinds of critical elements that are driving the market long-term. Um, CEOs are just, uh, management teams are just now getting the point where they say, look, we're under-investing in technology, what else do we need to do? Yeah, you just mentioned sectors within sectors. Last year seemed to be in the dental space where you and a couple of your colleagues are really busy. Seemed to be the year of like specialty dental, for example. You think uh, with, uh, you had some of the endodontic platforms, the oral surgery platforms, the you know kind of denture and tooth replacement platforms all trade. Is that is that something you see continuing within dental for uh, 2022? We do. And so if you think about what we just talked about in home care, you could see a longer term play in dental, right? With general DSOs acquiring other specialty platforms to be a full service to think about a patient perspective and all the service they need from a dentist or a dental operation. Um, we definitely see that continuing this year because three years ago, five years ago, all these specialty platforms were just not big enough. So they've spent the last five years building. Now there's a bunch of interesting companies. There. Earlier this week in Miami, there was a, a very significant digital health conference. I didn't. Brian, were you there? I, I, we caught the tail of it. You caught the tail of it. Yeah, I, it was, I it was called Vibe, right? I think well, it was. Vibe, yeah. 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 And um, uh, a lot of entrepreneurial efforts in digital health. Do you at Houlihan see some of the more traditional healthcare services platforms getting into digital through acquisition at all is is that a trend or are we just not there yet i yeah i think uh i'm not sure we're there yet um but could we be potentially i think you see mostly on the healthcare service side them uh, using them as a vendor a partner a service provider to help their own technology needs um and the problem quite frankly is you know a lot of these technology companies trade at a multiple revenue which is pretty heady and if you're a healthcare service company trading at 15 times EBITDA, it's going to dilute your overall uh, shareholder base. So those kind of things, I think, are an impediment to that. But if you think long term, you're going to see some creative structures around this where if you're a super big company, like uh, make an example, HCA, for instance, could someone like that or United Healthcare, which is a huge buyer of technology or Humana or some of these other big companies do that? For sure. But would a regional healthcare services player do that? Probably not. Yeah, that, ma that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's go back to a topic that's been hot for a few years. Uh, uh, are we going to see any ortho deals this year? <laughs> no. I'd like to, but probably not. Um, there's a couple we're, tr we're tracking. Um, I think some are building toward a value-based care uh, model, which is very exciting because not many in that space do that. Um, but there's only three or four companies of size there. And so, you know, we'll see, I think is the, is the right answer. I think the, the challenge with... Uh, orthopedics is similar to cardiac, just the, the scale platforms, but it's, it's also the entanglement with the hospitals, right? So there are some scale platforms. I'm from Chicagoland where you've got two very scaled orthopedic groups, but they're also so tied to the hospital systems. And, you know, in terms of ownership of joint ventures, ancillary participation, call coverage, professional services agreements, just everything. So it, those those deals compared to your your other ologies, your ology type deals where we're 
uh, you know, uh, dermatology uh, and ENT. Yeah, they're and things freestanding, like that. not no yeah, entanglements. Freestanding, right? no entanglements. Yeah. So like, they might have a call coverage agreement here or there or something like that. So for, for investors, those are really challenging deals to, to get done find the right platform and then also to scale too. Cause are you, you're going to go a couple towns next door, try to find the next orthopedic group. They're going to have the same entanglements with their local hospital. So um, as much as we'd all like to see more transactions in that space, I, I share your op opinion there. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that. Some businesses models, the more entangled they are with hospitals, for instance, or otherwise may not be a private equity appropriate kind of business. And so we've seen more and more in that, but we've also seen, Hosp big hospital systems try to think differently and try to not necessarily think like a private equity firm, but think more about where do we want to be 10 years from now, instead of private equity owning all these assets in their regions, maybe they should be the operators of those. So I think we're starting to see those hospital CEOs think differently for first time in a while. Maybe it's an evolutionary survival tactic, you know, right. stay ahead of the curve or be behind it. Totally agree. So are there any themes that, that have come up this year that strike you as, as particularly fascinating compared to where we've been? Uh, I, I think the themes, maybe not one theme, but just the theme of innovation, um, I think is real. A lot of people are trying to reinvent healthcare and these are more like, they're less private equity uh, type deals, more venture capital type deals. They wanna transform an industry and they wanna transform technology. And I think we've seen this in a whole lot of other areas, but in healthcare, it's been harder just be given the adoption um, that it takes to really broadly apply technology. Um, but we definitely see that, but no one is, there's no like the next great thing right now, but it's, uh, it's coming. You can just feel the innovation level. I've had at least three meetings here with funds that are really looking at doing, you know, some different style deals of, you know, kind of like what we put in this bucket of acceleration capital of like, they've historically been growth equity investors, which can mean a lot of things, right? Growth equity, uh, could mean minority deals, 50-50 deals, something like that. But I think you see, we see this group here that's with us in Miami, which is historically an LBO-focused crowd, right? Leverage buyout-focused, you know, looking for cash flow-positive companies to acquire. Some of them are thinking more and more about, like, all right, how do we get in on this innovation side of healthcare, and what is this? What's the style deal that we're going to be doing in that? Are we going to no, these folks know how to roll up their sleeves and grow companies. You know, historically, they're just doing it, though, through, you know, bolt-on acquisitions and de novos of, like, multi-site healthcare. So, you know, kind of shifting that focus over to, like, something in digital, something in health IT um, is a – I don't think it's that hard of a pull for them to, to shift that focus. And um, I, I think that could be – Brian, you're asking for kind of like – Themes or trends for the year. We should, we could start to see a little bit of that uh, start to pay off this year from a deal deal trend perspective. Totally agree. And the area that I would suggest that's uh, innovation, maybe not technologically innovation, is value based care. Right? Payment models. The ultimate payment model. We don't know. We're transitioning over a long period of time. And a lot of those value based care companies um, went the public route uh, in terms of a, a financing vehicle or the SPAC route. And so we saw a lot of SPAC transactions. Uh, before the market uh, slowed down. Um, a lot of those are getting repriced because you don't have those SPAC vehicles and something necessarily an IPO. But uh, if you talk to private equity funds and even some of the grow, more growthier areas, um, a lot of them are focused on HCIT where maybe they weren't in the past. They just see the growth, they see the innovation, they see what's next. Um, but a ton of people are talking about value-based care now. 
And the problem is there's just not enough investments there to do for everybody. And it's pretty scarce in terms of where those are. Can we say that the SPAC craze has kind of tapered off? Was that in direct correlation to COVID? 2020 and 21 SPAC craze, now COVID's, COVID's kind of tapering and so are SPACs. Right, they have, they have definitely tapered. Um, they really start tapering in early 21. And so what happened is the SPAC market, there were 400 plus SPACs that went public. They were all looking for targets. They were all having to pay you know, forward multiples to get deals done. And what happened was, um, after a bunch of those got done, like all 2020, early 2021, um, a lot of the fund, the bigger hedge funds and investment vehicles started to hit their limitations on uh, illiquid assets. Because you, if you're investing in the pipes, you've got to hold it for 90 or 120 days. So they started to hit these limitations. They physically just had a ton of capital there. And then this narrative started to exist in the market that a lot of the pipe investors and investors in those, um, on average, were losing money. And so the pipe market peeled off then the SPAC market peeled off and a lot of the redemptions for pipes started to get really high and it just became really untenable for most people to get us back to. Now, some are still getting done, but I think those are maybe a different focus and narrative. So are we going to have a, a number of zombie SPACs out there on the market, basically? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, though, because there's still a fair number of, you know, deals that could be done, you know, for the, the you know, through a SPAC vehicle, but what you're saying is like kind of the some of the underlining financing needs to kind of complete that style deal are just not there right now. Right. Yeah. And from a SPAC perspective, I think a lot of sellers there was a lot of euphoria there. Right. I think go back to 2020, early 21, high valuations. Um, but the problem is the liquidity wasn't there. Right. It's not enough liquidity. It's really more like a financing than a liquidity event. So. A lot of entrepreneurs and even PE funds said, look, do I really want to have a financing that I don't don't control? Day one, it doesn't have resources, doesn't have the elements of an IPO that we all appreciate. Um, and I think people had enough history with them. They said, I'm not sure it's the right thing for me, right? Because at, at the end of the day, put, put aside the valuations and the forward multiples and those kind of things, does that management team want to operate a public company? That was a fundamental question that started later in the process after the euphoria kind of hit. Um, Cause you know, we all know man public company management teams spend 40, 50% of their time actually managing the public public entity. So. Yeah. It's uh, we kind of look at the very public story of, you know, how quickly things turned on the Peloton management team. You know, I think CEOs that have historically been, you know, private equity, uh, you know, oriented CEOs look at that and like, I don't want to deal with that. Right. Yeah. Or uh, in the on the physical therapy side, ATI did a SPAC and then their post despacking, they've just not performed well. Well, Brian, do you have anything else to, that we should uh, bend Mark's ear on? So we're down to our final thoughts here. So uh, we've clearly established that this is going to be, I think, another very healthy year for healthcare in general, healthcare services in particular. But um, I'd be remiss if I didn't always ask the question, uh, since I have you both here uh, on either the legal structural side or just on the on the banking side. Uh, what is there a note of caution that people should should know as they approach this? What should they be cognizant of avoiding? Sure. Yeah. For me, it's uh, inf inflation all the way around um, retention and uh, recruiting of, of clinical teams to make sure you have compliant quality, high service, um, supply chain. And then, so those are kind of immediate, like that's happening right now. And then a longer term basis, you know, we're in a rising interest rate environment. 
Is really the Fed going to land the plane in the right way where it doesn't create a potential recession? And then you've got, you know, additional commodity supply chain issues from the Ukraine war. And so I think there's some headwinds that we are watching and are concerned about. They've not pervaded into where we are today, but if those go the wrong way or get worse, then it could really impact infinite markets. Yeah, I agree, Mark. And, that, and one of the things about healthcare services in particular is that these reimbursement rates are fairly fixed, mm-hmm. right? right? So the ability to pivot quickly and go to a payer and say, hey, my cost structure has changed dramatically over the last 12 months. Will you pay me more? No, that that possibility does not really exist with commercial payers or with Medicare. So, you know, I, I agree that in this market, people have to be you know really cautious on the cost front. You hit on it as well. The labor piece is just going to be critical, you know, for healthcare services platforms in particular. They're going to have to really be focusing on like how do we build a culture uh, here? How do we make people want to stay here versus working at Amazon.com? Um, and where they may have a similar hourly rate and benefits available to them. You know, what's interesting is, and I 100% agree with what you said, um, and all those are things we're, we're focused on, um, but if you rewind the tape a little bit to COVID, what we found is because so many uh, healthcare service businesses, they mostly had to shut down for some period of time. And as terrible as that was on the employees and patients and a whole bunch of things, um, management teams didn't stand still. A lot of them reinvented their business from the ground up versus just continuation of kind of where they were. And so I think you, you saw a number of businesses come out of COVID with slightly better margins than before. So that may be pre- prepared a little bit better. And I guess it's not yeah. a, it's a an offset, point. but yeah. it's, you know, it's- Yeah, it's, it was like takes. kind of a forced trimming of certain yeah. things that they had. It may have been some extra office space. It may have been a, a few, you know, back office employees here and there, or some services that just weren't necessary anymore. and. Uh, that gives them hopefully a, a little bit of uh, tailwind to deal with these cost pressures going forward. Well, I think that wraps it up for our Bankers Corner Edition. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening in and obviously uh, our good friend Mark Francis, uh, who graciously took time off from uh, what's going to be a very busy year to sit down and share his thoughts. So uh, I always encourage you to join us again. We'll be talking about many saucy topics uh, in the healthcare landscape uh, as the year progresses. and. Um, Coming up on events, we'll be uh, we'll also be talking to you from uh, Nashville at our uh, ASC PPM focused conference, which will be coming up at the end of this month. Thank you all. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.